0: thanks for tuning in to another episode of the giving leader with phil link i'm your host i'm also the founder of the giving church you can always find out more about what we do at thegivingchurch.com today my guest is rick grover senior pastor east 91st street church indianapolis indiana i've known rick for many years Uh, i think it's going to be a fascinating conversation Rick has been through the wars and the trenches and taking a successful existing traditional somewhat church and then transitioning with all the difficulties that often come with that to new vision, new direction and come out on the other side. So for the next few minutes, our guest is gonna be Rick Grover and I think you will find it fascinating. But first of all, Rick, thank you very much for being on. Well, thanks for having me. Pleasure to see you via the technology of Zoom. Yes. Uh, I have seen you for a while. Um, it is, uh, I have great memories of hanging out with you guys. Uh, yeah. tell, let, let's jump in. So you go down to New Orleans and you, you plant a church right before Katrina. <laughs> and and, and navigated that. The first time I ever heard of you is like the guy that's down there trying to help people after Katrina. Uh, And you eventually find your way to a a large successful church in Western Kentucky and Owensboro. And then you get the call to come to E91. So first of all, let's back up. Why come to E91? Uh,
1: The reason that we really sense that Laura and I, my wife and I sense God's call to come to E91 is because it's such a strong historic church planting church. And so we we just really we have that DNA in our hearts and, and ministry of church planning. And so in we were a direct beneficiary of E91 church planning because E91 was the primary supporting church for the church plant. We had a number of ministry partners for the church plant, including Owensburg Christian Strong, which is one of the reasons why we went there. But E91 was the mother church, the one that got everything started. And so we felt a sense of loyalty to pray about the possibility of coming here and then trying to discern God's leading and, and stepping into um, the role that we have. So that was nine oh, almost 10 years ago now.
0: Daggone. gone. It is amazing. feels like you yep. just got there. Uh, so those that are listening and don't know the history, um, the inside baseball stuff, Go back, like I said before, it was cool. So when I was planting in Seattle 100 years ago, you know, I think Penn Hollow came to visit me then and talking about church planting, and that's who was leading that at E91. So give me a thumbnail sketch on E91's history in church planting.
1: You bet. So it all started back in the early 80s. I'm, I I wasn't, I'm not even 100% sure off the top of my head, like 1981, something like that the exact year. But with Jim Penhollow, John Wassum, they brought in Alan Algrim uh, for some consultation with that. The vision was to do 20 church plants in 20 years, and they actually exceeded that amount. Um, this was before, you know, long before Stadia um, Orchard Group, at that time Goey Chapel was around, but uh, there wasn't, as you said, there wasn't a lot going on with church planting, but they just felt God, the leaders here, felt God calling them to step up and be a reproducing church. So that's how it started uh they blew past the 20 church plant number and um just continued to move forward from there so uh the church plant that we were leading down in new orleans was daughter church number 21 wow. and we now through the lift camp we just did a, a generosity campaign that that you uh were very involved with uh which was extremely successful i mean god really blessed that and part of that went to a plant of a church in um, Manhattan, New York, and that was Daughter Church number 74. Wow. Wow. So,
0: so I, I want it because I – E91, it's a it's – a, if you look at the history of E91, it's an impressive church. It's like a long tenure, uh, good leadership. Um, Russ Blowers, Dave Faust, you – I mean, you've, you've had great leadership. It's kind of like looking at all the changes in, in the NFL right now looking for coaches. You know, it's you can't outrun okay. that coaching you know and so you have to have good leadership and the the early commitment to church planting and significant dollars so i i, I don't i'm not am not going to put you on a spot to see if you can pull a number out but it'd be amazing to see how much e91 fi- finances they have thrown at those 70 some
1: mm-hmm. yeah i i i would we we could actually get that number but i would guesstimate that would be in the in the millions, because uh, like even the, the church plant that we did down in New Orleans, it was 100,000, 150,000, and most of the church plants there's a good 100, 150,000 commitment, and and that's not in any way uh, to be tooting our own horn. I mean, that's not what this is about. It's about partnerships. It's about smaller churches, mid-sized churches, larger churches able to work together for God's kingdom expansion and multiplication, and uh, so we've learned a lot. Fire. Uh, trial by air, uh, fire, trial by fire, and uh, made a lot of mistakes with our church plant down in New Orleans, as well as um, other church plants, but we've but we've seen God move in significant ways as well.
0: So, like I said, uh, a lot of the people that listen to our podcast are pastors and leaders themselves. And so I, I always want to interview people like you that talk, talk reality so you're planting in Katrina, or not Katrina, in New Orleans, and then you find yourself at E91. Give me a compare and contrast in the, your leadership, how you've had to adapt into those two very different spots.
1: Right. Well, without question, with the church plan and leading in that venue where it's, it's all the uh, taking the initiative, being the on the front lines i love that very passionate about that uh it's far more so of 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 taking the risks uh calculated risks of stepping into a community to share christ and so forth and then stepping into an established church where it's it's much more of of leaning into the history uh understanding the legacy that's that's that present whether it's a church like eni one or or some other place that's had a long tenure pastor and uh and then trying to work within those structures of bringing about some positive change and growth because every every organism is always going to be developing evolving growing changing but how to do that in a way you know that's it's like the um navigating uh the mountains that canoeing the mountains that book that talks about how do you navigate through things that are where there's changing culture and environment but the organization itself has stayed the same pretty much stayed the same for decades and how to lead through that so uh, so i had to change my leadership focus and leadership hat while at the same time um continue to bring application from the principles that I learned as a church planner, because those are the things every church should be doing, whether it's been an established church for decades or brand new, is how are we reaching our community? How are we engaging people? How are we building those relationships? How are we equipping and discipling people so that they're they're learning how to take the gospel into their own communities?
0: You've been listening, I'm Phil Ling. I am the host of The Giving Leader podcast, but I'm also the founder of The Giving Church. I don't talk a lot about exactly what we do, but you really do, if you get a few minutes, go to thegivingchurch.com and download a free PDF. We have five ways to grow your giving for 2022. Everybody coming out of this crazy last two years needs to talk about and think about their culture of generosity, but you gotta have a direction and a plan. And we wanted to bring some value. So five ways to grow your giving in 2022 at thegivingchurch.com so you come to e91 rich history but when you come into rich history that means tradition and so that means not everything that you lead with is necessarily said hey this is great Mm -hmm. it's like hey this is different Mm -hmm. so tell me about that tell me about navigating the good people that maybe have another view of the church and leadership and then you come in with a fresh view and have to navigate through some some rough stuff.
1: Yes. Well, um, I I wish I could share more about um, the wonderful things that I and others did and the successes that we had, but uh, they were very few and far between. So it's far more learning from sharing about the mistakes that that I made. Uh, is in stepping into an established church. One being I didn't I didn't take into account. The significant culture of the history, uh, and that really came back to bite me, because I um, came in. The elders were excited about, "Here we go! We have a new lead pastor, so let's charge the hill," and uh, and so we did. But we didn't take into account the fact that there were so many that were within the church, um, and and this is the way that it's not that they are bad people. It's just, this is the way that we tend to be is that, well, what's, what we've been doing has been working. Um, and it's led to where, you know, this as, as you have probably said yourself, that success can often be the greatest inhibitor for future growth, Right. past success can often be the greatest inhibitor for future growth. And that was the case here. So we had to, you know, why, why we had to create, um, a a sense of urgency of change but it uh it the one of the big mistakes that i made was i microwaved it instead of crock it and that's another uh term out of that book um of nav uh, navigating the uh, canoeing the mountains right is that it was i i i was i jumped in too quickly and outside council everybody was saying don't go too fast don't go too fast my my personality and my tendency is let's charge the hill let's go let's go and um, and I, I i rushed it i went too fast um, and it really it really hurt uh where we were as a church at that time and it has taken many years for us to recover from some of those early mistakes that i made in leadership so i just want to encourage the listeners and those those uh, watching this that hey it's great to have bold leadership we need to have that um, we need to be continuing to study research, looking at the cutting edge and culture and evangelism, outreach and change, and church planning. But it's that old African proverb of if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And I was um, too impatient to really work with the team and go together.
0: I, first of all, thank you for being transparent. That's why I like having folks like you on the podcast, because that's real leadership. Um, I was blessed to, to meet you during that period and uh, I'd heard of you, but not intersected. And then we started to work together and watch you navigate not, not something unusual for any of us that spent time in church for, you know, a period of time everybody goes through stuff, Mm -hmm. but watched you up close in navigating that. And I, I don't think that's a topic a lot of people talk about is first of all, change you know, how do we navigate change and ripping the Band-Aid off slow, fast, whatever? How are we going to do that? How do we survive through that process? And for those that are listening, when Rick came in, E91 was not the traditional old church that's struggling to keep the doors open. They were doing well from the outside numerically, uh, but you had a very unique culture. You had a almost two churches in one. You tell me if I'm wrong, but you had the very traditional, well-done traditional and the very contemporary, well-done contemporary, because you had a physical plant that could do all those things. And we're doing both. You come in with your leadership and from my chair with the endorsement of the elders. You did not come in with a bunch of guys that didn't want to go. No, mm-hmm. they were your eldership. I was very impressed. They're They're good folks. Mm-hmm. But like you said, then you get in, it's like, oh, wait a minute. It's, it's one thing if you're hired to come in to Jacksonville and they never win. Mm-hmm. And if you get hired to come in after Belichick leaves and says, but I'd like to do it differently. And I think that's the, the piece that I watched and the part that I was very impressed with, which you surprised me at how long your tenure is, is you sticking it out. Because I think most when they run into that, Say suddenly I feel God calling me somewhere else and probably warmer. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so I I just wanted to to put that out. You came in, you weren't following um immorality, you know, that kind of junk, which sometimes happens in churches. You weren't following coming in and where they they had success 30 years ago and wanted to pretend that they were still successful. You came in and they were still doing stuff
1: Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: but to go into the 21st century it's like okay yeah but we need to uh, interact with our culture and try to make a difference and blah 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 and you start using some of those new church principles you know like when you're planting Mm -hmm. and surprise surprise people resist sometimes Mm -hmm. And, and then you go so let me ask you the the cliche question in hindsight you talk about crock pot and and i'm much more the same personality i'm not a crockpot guy you know so i'm much more the microwave microwave slow you know it's let's let's go besides just that analogy anything else glare out at you that said you know i I think i would have tweaked this whether it's working with my leadership team or my staff or whatever
1: oh yeah um a number of lessons and i won't i won't take all of our time to to run through uh because we can unpack so much of this But um, in a nutshell, um, I think that first off, I needed to exegete the culture of the church just as much as I was exegeting the culture of our community. Uh, I was very focused on what's going on around us in this community, changing demographics of our areas, not the fast growing area of Indianapolis anymore. That's 30 years past us now. So um, I was really focused on that, but not focused on exegeting the culture of the church. And then trying to build, uh, second is building deeper relationships, key influencers within the church. You know, the, as you mentioned, the elders, great elders, elders and I were together, united, but, um, but we had a staff that was uh, good staff, but um, a lot of division, there was a lot of, of uh, camps, um, and that's expected when it comes to a church where there's been some leadership change over the years. A significant amount of leadership change from Russ Blair's retirement, 1996, up to the time that I came, or 92. That no, was 96. 96 up to the time that I came. A lot of, of change. And so um, I needed to build more relationships, go slower with them. And and a, and a third key point I, I in looking at, in hindsight is that um, every context is going to be different. So when people say, "Well, Rick, you should have just gone in and ripped off the ramp band the band aid," I I did try to do that to a certain extent and it just backfired and people say, well, then you should have just taken, I mean, it reached a point where we were really going to sell the property, merge with another church or figure out a way through prayer and moving forward. And we chose that third option and the Lord has blessed that. But I mean, it was significant. I mean, we lost two thirds of the people, budget was cut in half the first, the first month that I was here, we had to cut 450,000 out of the budget. We had to do staff multiple lay, lay, um, times of staff layoffs so I, I came running out of the starting out of the gate with people not liking me <laughs> and and that's uh, hard for my personality type 3 on the Enneagram so um well and let me throw out one other hindsight is that i wasn't um i i, I didn't know how to really take care of myself how to lead self-care right. and soul care. And so I started as the church was spiraling downward. I was spiraling downward, and uh, and it took others to come alongside me. Alan Algram being one of them, uh, getting into a pastor's covenant group and, um, and having that type of accountability and that type of focus on soul care. You know, I was always the type of guy that I studied theology, Bible, and um, evangelism, missions, and so forth. But when it came to anything with counseling or psychologists, like ah, I asked for other people. But um, so I learned a big lesson about that, too, that this is we got to be in it for the for the long haul. It's a marathon, not a hundred yard dash. I knew that intellectually, but I didn't know it internalized within my heart. Uh,
0: Once again, the word I use is transparent because thank you for that. um, Was privileged to be in the room with you many times in those early stages. And what I was impressed with was your spirit through the whole thing and your eldership. See, often when whatever you go through tough stuff in church, then we talk about, "Well, I got an el- rogue elder board, or I got, you know, whatever that's going on." In this circumstance, it really wasn't that, um, but large church, big staff, big camps, doing different things. Uh, you guys have to navigate it. Had very frank conversations. We we talked a lot of different options, and uh, let me transition just a, a, a second to speak to this in a self serving way the name of the podcast is The Giving Leader. My theory is every you can have a vision and you can cast the vision, but generosity fuels the vision. And so it's hard to fulfill the vision without a culture of generosity. And so one of the things you had to navigate during that was how are we going to A, financially work our way out of this, and B, we're going to raise money during this process. And Now I know because we've come out the other side that you raised a significant amount of money, paid down a lot of debt, uh, planted a church, and but that. Let me ask a self-serving question: How does paying down a big hunk of debt coming out of an experience like that free you up for ministry in the future?
1: Well, two things. One is that we, in our context because of the previous divisions that we've had over worship and primarily uh, that was related then also to um, the demographic of age, you know, older folks with uh, on, for the most part, it's not always that, that way, but, but there was something that everyone agreed to. And that was, we have a huge debt that's holding us back. So young families got that older adults got that. So that became a rally cry for us as a church to say, we need to free up this. We need to be freed up from this burden of debt. They are taking ownership of that. Um, So it's been been significant, but the unity, the rally cry, as well as the vision cast of where we're headed with that, that was inspirational, motivational for people to come together and say, let's let's get this taken care of. So we just finished up that three year campaign. Now we're moving towards uh, um, being debt free. And and you and I've talked about this. It's not that's not the end all. That, the end the end game is not to be debt free. Right. The end game the end game is to make disciples of Christ. To make disciples who make disciples. And what's the best way that we can do that?
0: Yeah, you got count what counts. There are a lot of dead churches that are debt free. So you know, right, you got, you got to count what counts. Okay, let's move a little bit. Let's look forward. You're a thinker. That's what I like about you. You're a reader. You're coming out of the COVID stuff. Um, give me some thoughts. What's a church look like in 2022? What, what are, where are you focusing?
1: We we're focusing on, uh, looking to the future of two things. One is how can we better leverage our campus for greater kingdom impact in our community? So we have our vision is our vision is to be a, a, a campus that has becomes a destination place and a launching pad to transform lives, families, and communities through Jesus Christ. So how can we partner with others in our own community so that this isn't just a, I mean, we're actually looking at how could we take part of our property and partner with others, not sell off the land, but partner with others for the development of the land for greater kingdom impact. And, uh, and so people want to be here. They want to come to this property, this location in this area. So that's a shift for us because even I, I look back at some vision documents from 20 plus years ago. Where they were looking at campus development but it was campus development for children's ministry and student ministry and all that that's great i'm not knocking that at all but it's a different it's a different era now even if it weren't for covid but then you take covid and that becomes this multiplier uh with it to where i, I the churches i've been talking i don't talk with nearly as many as what you do phil but the ones i've been talking with they're still at 50 to 70 percent um attendance from pre-covid we're maybe at 75 to 80 percent but um, but we're recognizing that we, we've got to change the paradigm, the model of ministry from just if you build, it, they will come just to show up for Sundays. It's got to be a connection of uh, within the community. That's not revolutionary. That's not anything that others haven't heard or been thinking about, but that's our focus. And secondly, with church planning is how do we explore different church planning models that will uh, be effective in this postmodern culture and COVID culture? So, you know, leveraging technology, what does it look like, not only with video campuses, but what does it look like with engaging people who may be engaging with video? Um, how do we build those relationships? How do we look at, at um, um, even with a micro church mindset of, of people from within the church, not just looking at how can we partner with others to go to New York, which is not an either or, we wanna do a both and. How can we continue to fund and support church planning and provide leadership for church planning in other parts of the country? But how can we also penetrate this region, central Indiana, with church planning of sending people out from E91 into their own communities? So that's those are the two key areas. What can we do with our campus and what can we do with church planning for the future?
0: This is a little bit, off, out left field, but um, I, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you to to talk about this. Uh, you are a student of your profession. You're not only a gifted communicator, but you give it a lot of thought and research. How are you preaching differently? If you're preaching differently than you were, say ten years ago,
1: I am preaching differently, and it's in it's in two ways. One is that I'm because of my own uh my own brokenness and uh and willingness to acknowledge that and be on the road we're all on the road to recovery with whatever issues of brokenness that they may be you know we're we all are that so I that has softened my heart and my preaching much more now than it was 10 years ago um and second is Understanding that in the 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 congregate the audience quote unquote the congregation those who gather together, I want to preach more out of that brokenness. I want to preach more in identifying with where people are, and um, and not just. I, I want to do good communicate. Obviously, we all want to hopefully want to do good communicating and teaching of God's word. Without question but I'm, I'm much more with that focus, that foundation, I wanna be much more inclined to say, why? Why should you care? Why should you listen to this? It's just a different, 10 years ago, there was still, even though uh, it's already been passing, but there's still some biblical literacy <laughs> that people had. And I can't just say, um, well, the apostle Paul wrote this. Who cares? And who who is the Apostle Paul? You know. So there's, I can't assume as much, right? As I did ten years ago, I had to be a little bit. It doesn't mean I have to give a whole lesson on the Apostle Paul every time I mention his name, but to give a little background. Um, and Andy Stanley talks a lot about that, so I don't need to go a lot into that. But, but those are two big ways that my preaching's changed over the past ten years.
0: One of my favorite gifts was years ago from my staff in Seattle gave me a hat that had the stenciled on it, because it was a phrase that I used all the time. So they had to put on a hat. And it just simply said, so what? Mm-hmm. And my, my theory is, as you communicate, everybody's got a little screen above their head that you can't see and it's saying, so what? It's mm-hmm. like, okay, you're telling me this. So what, what does that have to do with me real life, where I am, what's going on? I mean, and I think that the COVID experience in a world telling the church, they're non-essential means everybody's saying so what so your church like okay so what what does that mean um tell me i'll, I'll end with this and you tell me if i'm wrong because you know, i feel free to disagree what i'm seeing and what i'm saying is that if you are if your whole heart is just to get people back on your campus after covid you're probably not going to do well and you're going to be disappointed hmm It reality is reality, it is what it is, and so now it's an intersection of how do I continue to reach people in all the different forms, how do I continue to try to disciple disciple them not judging my success by how many I was able to drag back on campus
1: right. And I I agree 100% Phil, what you're saying And, and I would add to that to say that we can look at what's happened and and our new reality. Uh, with the wringing of hands and to say, well, this is so discouraging and and despairing, or we could say, what an incredible opportunity we have, because this is, this is an opportunity that we have to really be the church uh, far more so than when we were just relying upon the structure and facilities and the institutions and, and the still having some semblance of shared values in our culture. That's all gone. And so, um we need to stop uh just i would use some other words but griping and complaining about all these things and start saying okay what an opportunity we have of reaching people where they are and how do we do that it, it really is if we want to talk about church planning then this is an opportunity that we have to reinvent ourselves of course through scripture through the lens of the gospel um and that foundation but doing so because that in of itself is what the gospel calls us to
0: excellent thanks for listening again to the giving leader with phil ling um i am been your host your guide on the tour ship today rick grover was our guest from east 91st street uh, i hope you found it as interesting as i did fascinating guy fascinating church uh, the amount of church plants that they've done over the years was just amazing to me Thanks for being one of our 20,000 folks that download and listen to our podcast. Share it with your friends and look out for us for the next time we bring you another interesting episode of The Giving Leader with Phil Lynn.